welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Jamie Hades. Jamie has over 10 years experience in the equipment rental industry and specializes in traffic solutions. He's so well known in traffic that his nickname was actually Mr. Traffic, which has led to him actually starting his own company as the general manager of Mr. Traffic Hire. Jamie, to kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the hiring rental industry? All right, so it's a bit of a funny story, I suppose. Before the hire industry, I started in um, hospitality. Did that for quite a few years and, and got really tired. And always would drive past Kennard's Tire in South Melbourne on my way home from, um, from, from the burger store. So every six, seven nights a week, I'd be driving past Kennard's Tire. Just out of the blue, one day I get an, I get an email in, in, the, in the general inbox at home and the family email account, and it said um, a hire opportunity. Didn't say too much. It didn't say what it was about, but just talked about hire opportunity. You know, if you're interested, put in an application. So I did. The very next day, I get a phone call. About two o'clock that afternoon, I get a phone call from the manager of uh, Kennard South Melbourne saying, "Can you come down for a chat?" And I'm like, "Well, this is all happening very quickly." But anyway, went down there, had a chat. And he offered me serviceman driver role. And that was back in 2007 in August. I think it was August the 7th, 2007. I actually started with Kennard South Melbourne as a driver. Well, that is a pretty quick turnaround time. So, so what were some of the roles that you had when you were at Kennard's Hire? And then what were some of the roles that you have done since Kennard's Hire? Okay, so um, to begin with, obviously, a, a driver. A week in. I dropped the material horse on my hand and um, and hit a nerve. Um, so I was out of action for for about two months. When they brought me back in on light duties, they said, just stay in the office and answer phones. So within probably about a month after that, they sort of said, you're not leaving the office. You can talk. You're staying here. So they kept me in the office um, and then moved up from there. Basically, you know, within within 12 months, I think I was a manager of that store. Within 12 to 18 months, I became the manager. I was to I see then the manager. I ran that store for about two years and then got pushed into the traffic role. And I say got pushed because it was a role that nobody wanted. <laughs> so you, you really progressed quite quickly in terms of your career within Kennard's Hire. Like, what do you sort of put that down to? I suppose... Uh, simplified information or, you know, don't beat around the bush. Be honest with people and tell them not what they want to hear, what they have to hear. It it adds to your credibility. So that's all I ever did. And I think another thing, flexibility, you know, then, yeah, you're working under the Kennard's banner, but we're going to come and see Jamie at South Melbourne because he's flexible and we can talk to him. We can ask for whatever we want. Okay. And then so you said nobody wanted to get into traffic. So maybe to break it down simply, like, like, what is traffic when it comes to hire? And when you said you got into traffic, like what does that actually mean? What was the roles that you were doing? Well, so basically we at South Melbourne, we had an opportunity um, to to get into message boards. So while still at South Melbourne as a 2IC with my manager back then, we went to Neil Masterson, which was the state GM of Kennards, um, and said, we want to buy message boards. And back then it was a different, completely different kettle of fish to what it is today. Like, hey, Neil, we've got a hunch. We reckon we could do with 10 message boards. What's that going to cost us? 300 grand. Do you reckon you can make it work, boys? Yeah, we can. Bloody us. Let's get them. So we bought 10 message boards and 10 quickly grew to 20. And within within 18 months, we were bursting at the seams 
working out of a little factory in South Melbourne. So we went on and formed uh, the Kenatai Traffic Arm. Um, it started with message boards. Um, from message boards, got into barriers, um, arrow boards, traffic lights, TMAs, which are truck-mounted attenuators, which are, which are used to basically save lives. So it's your first line of defence in a traffic closure. And now, according to guidelines, so there's no actual rules or laws, the guidelines, however, written into a lot of the construction contracts, you must use a TMA on any roadway above 80 kilometres an hour. Um, what else did we get into? We got into traffic utes as well, I believe, and just various other things, road signs, bollards and road plates, stuff like that, all traffic, road construction type equipment hire. And so how long were you at Canards Hire for and what were you doing after Canards Hire before starting off with Mr. Traffic Hire? I did Canards Traffic up until... I'm just going to check my notes. The date's about 2014. So I did seven years at Kenarts, 2007, 2014. I did three years in general hire and four in traffic. Built the business up to, you know, some, some pretty crazy numbers. Had a massive team, had a massive fleet of equipment and got to the point where my name was out there a little bit. Um, got a call from RSCA chasing a state manager for their hire. I went and had a conversation with them. Did the right thing, went back to Kennards and said, hey, they've offered me X amount. At the moment, you know, I've got to look at what's important, me and my family, which at the time, you know, more money you can bring in, the better your life is, I suppose. This is what they're offering. Let's do a deal. And the general manager I had at the time wasn't really interested in doing a deal. So um, basically threw my keys on the desk and walked out, pretty much. Went across the RSCA. First couple of weeks in RSCA, I couldn't believe the differences between the two businesses. Like you go from a business that's, I don't even know what the word to use. You go to RSCA, they're predominantly a safety store with a bolt-on hire arm, if you like. So they're 80% selling boots and 20% hire. So some days being there working in the hire, you felt like the poor cousin, even though you were the hire makes really good money and generates a lot of profit next to sales. You still felt like you were the poor cousin because it was more like the business was focused on selling boots and safety gear than what they were in hire. So I think that was sort of one of the main, one of the main things that I noticed as soon as I walked in. The culture was a lot different. Yes. But then I think that's got to do with you going to a safety business, not a hire, not a predominantly hire business like Kennard's was. Um, what else with RSCA? Look, it was okay. It was challenging. We, we grew the business. Um, we, we started off with, with a fairly small fleet of message boards and we grew that um, to, to about 100. We actually got Steel Barrier. I wasn't involved in getting the Steel Barrier into RSCA. To be honest, at the start, I wasn't a huge fan of it either. I didn't think it had much merit until, of course, I got an opportunity down here in Melbourne. At the time, their fleet was 22 k's Australia-wide. I got, a, I got an opportunity for 10.5 kilometres in Melbourne. Went out quoted at really good rates and, rates and won the job. And then um, pretty much busted my ass for six months to get it out on the road. Um, worked all sorts of ridiculous hours. More so for myself because I didn't want to fail. You know, I suppose if I failed, then the business failed. And there was a lot on the line. There's still barrier systems. You know, back then was eight nine $900,000 a kilometre. So it was a huge investment. and We had to make it work. But to make it work, the majority of the install was nighttime, all hours of the night. Staff was always an issue. We could never get enough people. It didn't matter where we pulled them from, labour or otherwise. 
So I always found myself to be the first one in, the last one to leave. And sometimes I'd go right through and just sleep on the couch and just um, would do whatever I needed to do just to make sure we get the barrier on the road. But I mean, that can only last so long. It took us six months to get the barrier out. And by the end of it, I had nothing left. I was just, I was that tired that I couldn't get out of bed some mornings. And I was just ended up on the couch. And, you know, I still remember one day my missus walking out. and I've had a shower. I've gotten dressed. And I've put my PJs back on and jumped on the couch. And she's like, what's wrong? What are you doing? This is unlike you. And I said, I've got nothing. I'm not going to work. I can't do it. She says to me, I've never seen you like this before. You're normally the one that's driven, the one that wants to push, the one that wants to go hard. And no matter what the cost, just do it and get it done. I said, well, I don't. I've lost it. I don't, I don't have the energy to do it anymore. So she says to me, well, you know what's going on. We'll be right for a few months. I said, yeah, we will. She goes, well, why don't you resign? And I said, then what? She goes, just resign. I'm sure we will work it out. So I did. I walked in the next day. I handed in my resignation. They wanted me to work out six weeks so they could find their feet. I did what I could. I think I went in every second day or whatever I could for, for three or four weeks. And in the end, they put on a barbecue for me. And I said, thank you very much. See you later. However, within a week of that all happening, obviously word got around through the industry. Um, I had a phone call from um, Nat Triger from Joe LED in Queensland, whom I knew from within the industry, but not, we wouldn't pick up the phone and call each other. We'd see each other at traffic um, events and whatnot. We'd say, g'day and have a chat. He calls me up and he says to me, what are you doing? I hear you're not at RSCA anymore. I said, yeah. And he goes, I want you to fly up to Queensland and spend a few days with us and see what we do. I think you'd be a really good fit as a Victorian manager. I'm like, you don't have a Victorian branch. And he goes, well, that's the whole point. <laughs> so I said, all right, I spoke to my missus about it. And she said, yeah, why not? So I went up there and spent three days with Nat. It was almost like hanging with your mate. It wasn't, it wasn't a, I'm your boss and this is what we're going to do and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't, you know, it was, this is the business. Gave an intro, showed me, ran the factory, introduced me to everybody, going for breakfast, going for lunch, going for dinners for three days, just hanging out to see what the culture was like. And I think it was that that sort of really snapped me out of it and, and pushed me again, gave me my, you know, my second wind, if you like. Yes, it wasn't higher. It was selling the products that I knew a lot about but I wasn't hiring them. So when I signed my contract with Nat, I had a conversation and I said, listen, hire's my passion. I'm probably going to get back into it at some point and it's going to probably be soon. So you just got to accept that you know, as long as it's okay with you, I suppose, I'm going to be working on a hire business at some point as well as doing what I'm doing for you. And he said to me, as long as everything's transparent, I don't care what you do. You do the right thing by our business and then you do whatever you need to do for yourself. That arrangement worked really, really well for two and a half years. But then it just got to the point where Mr. Traffic's just gotten too big. So it's not, not a sideline thing anymore. So it was about, uh, what was it? So I did, with J1, I was 2000 and 2017. Yeah, until mid-2019. So I did two and a half years with J1. Um, had Mr. Traffic going in the background. And then I come, come aboard full-time with Mr. Traffic. Mid last year, actually, yeah. I really appreciate you being so honest and transparent in this conversation. And I guess for anyone that might be going through something similar to what you were in terms of overexerting yourself, both physically and mentally at work, like what advice would you have for them? The advice that I will, especially from a high point of view, because we know what sort of, when a high business is performing well, um, the profit margins are crazy. 
So don't don't think that you're you know by putting an extra person on you're losing one or two percent. Don't look at it like that. If you need to put two extra people on, you're still making good money. Don't bring everything upon yourself and think that you need to be everything to everybody because it's impossible. Um, I think when when I did go through what I went through mentally, at the same time, I had fallen off the forklift at one point too. I did my knee, so I had to have knee surgery at the same time. It was all a part of fatigue. It was all a part of being tired. It was all a part of thinking that I could do 20-hour shifts and nothing was going to hurt me. And, you know, it could have gone a different way. I could have stayed on the couch and probably and never recovered, but, you know, which I'm sure it happens to some people, but it didn't. I was lucky enough. I was given the opportunity to try one. I had Nat um, who mentored me, you know, even still today, we're still really good mates. We talk regularly, um, you know, built a really good relationship, almost like, you know, the older brother that I didn't have, someone that I could ring for anything. It didn't matter whether it was work-related or not. And so how important do you think it is having these mentors? Because it really sounded like the mentors in your life pulled you out of a bit of a bad bad rut or bad spot. And so for other people in the industry, how important do you think it is for them to have someone that they can lean on? Because one thing I can tell you about mentors is, especially in my high career, I've always had one. And it's not, I wouldn't say it's business related, but, you know, I had an area manager at, at uh, Kennards that stuck by me no matter what. And he, uh, his name was Jerry Pickett. He was around for a very long time. Um, and he, you know, he'd give me advice no matter what. He'd, he'd, he'd um, hold me to account when necessary because he'd, you know, Jamie does what he wants most of the time. So, you know, he, he tends to get himself in trouble. So Jerry was good like that. He pulled me into line when I needed to be and, you know, give me a pat on the back when he, when he had to. At RSCA, there was, a, there was another guy there. He was the national BDM. His name was Marcus Munoz. He was another one that I lent on quite a bit in that business um, and helped me get through it and obviously worked with me with all the big deals that we did. You, know, you need someone. Everybody needs someone to talk to, whether it's within business or not. You know, you need to have these people. And these relationships that I've built with these people, I still talk to. I think I spoke to Jerry last week. Uh, Michael, I spoke to this week. I speak to Michael regularly. Um, Nat, I speak to you a couple of times a week as well. It's very important. You need to you need to vent, man. You can't hold everything inside you. You don't you don't realize how how uh, you know what a toll it takes on you. Yeah, as I said, I really appreciate you sort of opening up and especially <laughs> saying this sort of stuff on a podcast. So anyone in the industry that is going through this sort of thing, definitely reach out to somebody and, and have a chat. So. Talk to me about what is Mr. Traffic Hire and how that came about. So Mr. Traffic was, so there was a, a business before Mr. Traffic was called Superior Hire. That was one that I came up with by myself, was myself and my brother. That was sort of, it was a bit of a weekend thing. It worked well. We got up to about 15 message boards and they were all out pretty much permanently. It was going really, really well and it worked. That was pretty much boss I was at J1. So it worked. That was across it. There wasn't anything untoward or... You know, he looked after me with all that. Following that, we're actually overseas for a cousin's wedding back in 2017. And um, I had one of my uncles over there. And we're having a chat. and He's got a finance background. We started talking about TMAs. And he said to me, why haven't you bought any? And I said, they're 230 grand each. And he goes, so what? And I said, well, yeah, okay. He goes, what's the return? So we sat there and we put pen to paper. And he says to me, here's my credit card. Put a, put a deposit on your first TMA. Can you get it out on hire? So first of all, he said to me, can you get it out? I said, yeah, I can get it out with Vic Roach for a year and a half. And he said, here's, here's my credit card, put a deposit on it. 
a week later, whilst I'm still overseas, my guy rings me from Vic Roads again. He says to me, have you got another one? And I said, let me see what I can do. So I grabbed my uncle and I said, do you want another one? And he says, same deal, same deal. He goes, here's my credit card, put a deposit on another one. So we bought these GMOs without even having a business to put them in. So we got, we got back from overseas. I think it was about two weeks after that. Trucks were ready to go. Come up with the name Mr. Traffic, which it was a bit of a nickname that I was given by a few people in the industry because they, uh, whenever we'd catch up to have a couple of drinks and a barbecue, I was always off on my phone somewhere because my phone doesn't stop. And um, anything they ever wanted to know about the traffic industry, especially in Melbourne, they'd ring me. And I'd generally know what was going on, who was doing what, who was where and what have you. So they started calling me Mr. Traffic. Why don't we run with Mr. Traffic High? So we did. We registered about seven or eight different combinations of the name. And now we're with Mr. Traffic High Australia. No, no real vision at this point of going anywhere else in Australia, happy with what we're doing in Victoria, but you never know what the future holds, I suppose. Wow, what a story. That was also fast-paced, it sounded like. So so with Mr. Traffic Hire, so what's the, the geography? Like how far do you provide services and, and what are some of the products that you provide as well? Look, so we cover all of Victoria. Um, our capabilities, the products that we currently have, the main products are VMS boards, message boards. We've got arrow boards, we've got traffic lights. We've never got traffic utes. Um, we've also got a product, we're probably one of the first to come or to buy VSLSs, which are variable speed limit signs. Um, they weren't in the past anything that you could hire, um, but we bought a heap of them about 18 months ago and we've got a pretty decent hire on the ring road at the moment for, for about 50 of those. We've also got TMAs. We've got, so we've got seven TMAs in our fleet. That's pretty much it. We've got some barriers and odds and ends, but that's, that's the bulk of it. We've got about seven or eight key products that we've got uh, a good quantity of, like the message boards. We've got about 160 of them. Um, we recently acquired a business on the other side of town. So we've now got two locations, which are pretty strategic. So we've got the west and the southeast, uh, Point Cook and Karen Downs. And, yeah, we've got six staff now running around. I, I get on the road and do what I need to do if we're busy. I hook up boards, I tie them around. I've got no issue, quite enjoy it, actually. It's easy. You don't have to think too much for putting a message board out on the side of the road. It's great. Um, the rest of the time spent here in front of my laptop, in front of my desk, just catching up on paperwork and doing stuff. And so if we go all the way back to the start of our conversation, can you imagine having your own hire business now? Like you, you literally applied for an ad to get a job at Kenatai and now you have your own business. Is, something, is that something you can even fathom? I didn't. I never thought, I never wanted, I never... It was never anything that really interested me. I was happy to be a Kenites person through and through. But my dream was, you know, to, to, to grow with that business, to become an area manager, to become a general manager of, of traffic. That was really what I wanted to do. I thought I was probably not old enough and probably not mature enough back then. However, I thought I could have grown with that business. So one thing that still stayed with me for a long time was um, how easy how easy that I suppose it was for my GM at, that, at the time to let me go. Knowing full well what I had done and what I achieved within Kennard was, you know, one of the biggest, most the branch that we had in traffic at the, at the time was the biggest, most successful, most profitable and highest turning over branch in the country. Um, and that was out of 160 odd branches at the time. And the fact that I went back and said, I've been off at X, you know, come to the table with whatever. 
Now, I don't know if that was a... Um, he's no longer with the business. I don't know if that was a, a, something on him, or, you know, a reflection on him, or I don't know if he went and spoke to anybody else and said, can we do anything more? Um, I don't think that was the case. But, um, yeah, that, that, that stayed with me for quite a while because I did feel that I was going to be a Ken Arts person for life. That was what I wanted to do. And I suppose... They didn't burn me, or Kennards didn't burn me at all. They actually, they let me out of my non-compete to go and work for RSCA. So I didn't do anything wrong by me. Um, but then seeing how easy I could be let go from somewhere that I was doing such a great job and then going to another business, doing it again, but it didn't work out for other reasons. At some point, you start thinking to yourself, man, obviously I've got the goods. I know, I know what I'm doing. I might not be the most polished and I might not have an MBA in business, but I know how to build a high business. Let's give it a crack and... Like I said, two stores now or two sites, 160 boards. It's not, it's not a small operation anymore. Yeah, wow. That's a, it's an amazing achievement. And I guess for people that are listening, if anyone's out there that's looking at starting their own hire business, maybe do you want to talk about some of the challenges that you went through in setting up your own business and maybe some advice that you might want to give some people? There with challenges, and take this as you will, but once again, I'll say it as it is. With challenges, I can't say I had any um, because I knew all the people, I had all the relationships, and the majority of the equipment that I was buying was strategic. I wasn't buying stuff without having a home for it. I wasn't just going and buying 50 message boards in the hope that somebody was going to hire them. I was buying equipment that I knew people were going to hire, and I knew where the jobs were, and I knew what they were going to pay. So you've got to try and be strategic where you can. Relationships is everything. You know, you've got to go and talk to certain people and say, I'm doing A, B, and C. You're going to back me. And you know who your good people that will. And you know who, you know, you know who's people are full of shit. So, you know, you, you've got to have partnerships. Um, customers that I've got now, we've become friends. I've known a, my customers now. I've known a lot of these guys from the start of my career in hire. I've known them for over 10 years. And they followed me through every business. You know, whether they, whether they liked it or not, you know, one specific traffic customer, which I won't mention, but they know who they are because they're my biggest, followed me to RSCA. And he sat me down over a beer. One of the directors sat me down over the beer and he says to me, and he says to me, I swore I would never use them again. <laughs> but what are you making me do? You're making me set up another account with them. And they were, you know, to their detriment, they followed me across. And I say to their detriment because I couldn't supply them everything that I could supply them at Kennard's. And because Kennard's knew that they'd followed me across, they made it hard for them. However, the relationship obviously meant more to them than... And so it sounds like a big part of your success is obviously managing the relationships with your customers really well. That's, that's what I do. My, I do the deals. I, do, you know, I manage relationships. You know, if, there's a, if there's an issue which doesn't really happen all that much anymore because when you've got a recipe, it works. You... Yeah, you, you you be honest with people. You tell them you tell them how it is, even if it's not what they want to hear. Um, and you know, ninety percent of the time, it all works out for you. Sometimes they crack it and they, they don't want to deal with you. It happened to me just yesterday, but it is what it is. I'm not going to go into a job to lose money. So if the customer's not willing to understand that, that's probably not a customer I want to do business with. And then I assume, like, you put just as much emphasis on managing that relationship with your suppliers as well. Certain. When when you're in trouble and when you need stuff urgently, if you're not good to your suppliers, you don't pay on time and you don't have that understanding, that relationship. But, and actually, it's not about paying them on time all the time. It's more, I find with my suppliers, where I can, I'll throw them leads. 
you know, where if I hear somebody wants to buy message boards or if somebody wants to buy an arrow board, or if somebody wants to buy something, I'll give them a call and say, hey, such and such is chasing equipment. That, that puts you in good stead for next time. You know, you're, you're, you're not gaining anything financially by it, but you're, you're building up the favour bank. So when I do ring up and say, hey, I'm calling the favour department, they know why you're ringing and they know you need something done fast. Nine times out of ten, you can get it done. It's great that you got that relationship with your suppliers as well. So you obviously got where you are today by uh, learning from other people as well. So who do you think were some mentors in your life that really had a big impact? Like I said, you know, there was there, there was there was a few with various businesses. The one that really pulled me out of the rut was was Nat from J One. He kind of knew, but he sort of didn't. However, you know, he didn't purposely go out there to try and help me. He just worked. Don't know how to best explain that, but being the way he was with me and the way he, you know, the way he treated me, you know, allowed me to do whatever I needed to do. Didn't have me on a tight leash. Just let me perform. Let me do what I needed to do. Ring, touch base with me every morning, see how I'm going. Because he was up in Queensland, I was here by myself in Melbourne. So probably that I'd say probably played the biggest part. Yeah, it sounds like he really had a big influence on you, and yeah, it's great that you got something like that in your life. So. So talk to me about how you define success and what do you think was a defining moment for you? So I spoke about going from uh, from Kennards to ROCA for money because back then that was all I had and that was all that sort of, you know, back then you feel that you need to make more so you can provide more so you can give better quality of life to your family and yourself and whatever. And without... I suppose without blowing my trumpet or anything like that, it, when you get to the point where you're comfortable and you can make your own hours and it doesn't really matter whether I rock up to work at eight, seven o'clock in the morning or I get there at nine and, or, you know, um, today I want to go and see my daughter's uh, you know, singing recital or whatever it may be. So I'm not going to work today because I'm going to go and see my kids at school or I'm not going to work today because it's a beautiful day and we're going to go to the beach. And that's when you know you you know, you master your own journey, I suppose. Or I don't know if you can think of a better word. Try this right, what I'm trying to say. But, you know, when you can start doing whatever you want, no matter what, then you know you've succeeded. And monetary isn't important. Of course it is, but it's not like like a lot of people that I've spoken to before, you know, people that are doing really well, you know, they tell you money's a byproduct. It's true. But not until you make a couple of bucks, you actually work that out. While you're trying to, while you're trying to hustle, while you're trying to, you know, bust your ass, trying to trying to do whatever you can to, to make a dollar and, and you know to do that next thing, to get that next thing for your family, you don't see that. Yeah, well, it really sounds like you've learned a lot about yourself as well in just the last five years or so. Well, look, Jamie, I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. No worries, Mark. Thank you very much for your time. Please share, follow, and like the Rental Journal podcast, and we'll see everyone in the next episode.